Welcome to another episode of Hemp Barons. I'm Dan Humiston, and on today's show, Joy is joined by one of the United States' leading hemp seed producers. They talk about the challenges creating hemp seeds that increase yield and enable large-scale production. Their conversation covers all aspects of hemp genetics, including future opportunities. Let's join Joy's conversation with Wendy Moser from New West Genetics. Welcome to Hemp Errands, Miss Wendy. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks for having me, Joy. You know, you and your husband, Dr. John McKay, there are couples, very special couples. I can count them on one hand around the globe who are as dedicated and have already contributed so much uh, to the world's most versatile, valuable crop, hemp. And certainly you do that through New West Genetics in Colorado. Your global leader in hemp seed genetics and education in uh, advancing this emerging crop, recognizing uh, what the market needs are. Before we get into everything that you do and all that you're involved in, can you share with the list what brought you to hemp, Wendy? Sure. Well, um, a, a very circuitous route, certainly. I, uh, you know, John and I have been together for over 20 years. We have two different careers in many ways. However, you know, as a as a couple, we share in each other's lives pretty deeply. So, um, as as John was traveling through his schooling, from you know, PhD to postdoc to his professorship, um, we moved around the country and even the world quite a bit. Always, you know, interacting and meeting with plant scientists. And so I, I developed, an, though I am a natural born educator, I developed an interest as well in agriculture, you know, a, a little bit more at the applied level than, than John. So I, I have a passion for sustainability, for, you know, improving world food systems while still, you know, maintaining and feeding the world. It's a tremendous challenge. Um, I feel very passionate about the fact that it's a complex solution, uh, you know, and will involve many solutions. And I passionately believe that hemp is part of that solution. So, so that's how I came to it. And in, in a more direct sense, we happened to be, you know, half our story is truly, it, it's not just John and, and my other partner, Rich's expertise, but it's also just being fortunate enough to have been in Colorado when that farm bill passed. And, and you really found yourself at the, at the epicenter nationally. Uh, what are some of the most popular uh, genetics that you folks are selling right now through New West Genetics? I know obviously we have infrastructure set up for the hemp extract or cannabinoids um, types of varieties. And certainly we're looking to expand in a huge way, and of course, as you mentioned, feeding the world, which is my passion, um, the, the grain and uh, fiber varieties. That hemp seed, as you well know, is a superfood that needs a super cape. It is so nutrient dense, the highest form of digestible protein in the entire plant and animal kingdom. What are you seeing right now from, from farmers uh, through New West Genetics in terms of what they're planting? So certainly I'll, I'll talk about... Um you know, the genetic gains that we've made um, and how they apply are, it takes, I just want to say that, um, you know, our industry, Joy, as you know, has always been kind of cart before the horse. And that, that was absolutely out of necessity um, and understandable. 
However, um, when New West started, we wanted to put the horse back in front and we knew it would take years. So we were looking at products, you know, years down the line. Uh, it takes a good four years to, to create a stable variety um, with all the traits you want. So our varieties don't just have one trait. They have, you know, between 12, 16 traits. Um, so, of course, the market right now's attention is on CBD and other cannabinoids. Um, however, when you think about um, acreage, right, which is how we think about in agriculture, um, it's, it's not just about the money. It's about what, what is going to demand the most acreage, um, and we see that in grain. So our first variety we created, um, the first and foremost trait we, we knew we needed to do was below 0.3 THC. We've always put compliance first. So that was our first goal, um, along with all the agronomic traits um, that make it a mechanically planted and harvested crop. So, so the one we sell the most, <laughs> the long answer, the one we sell the most right now is our grain variety because those are the first, um, there's two actually now that are AOSCA certified, um, which was another goal of ours to provide more value to farmers, are those. Our, our most in demand, I would say, although we haven't released it yet because it's, it's not quite right for us yet. We want to do one more year and get it certified before we release is our Connect Enhanced CBD variety Abound. So we've got Abound in the queue and then we have Abound Plus the following year that will be coming out. Both of them are certified, will be, will enter AOSCA certification. I don't want to be presumptuous this coming season, the 2020 season. So um, those, and, and, you know, it's, they're by no means the only traits we work on, but we knew we needed to get those out first. And we're, we're very excited in some ways about the IFR because we have put compliance first. So, you know, we've created dioecious, they're all dioecious. Um, so that means they have separate males and separate females, which is unusual in agriculture, but um, we believe it's the most cost-effective way to produce the plant. Both, they're all dioecious, and we've created this low-compliant THC as well as, you know, very enhanced CBD varieties. So um, we're proud of that. It's not usual in the industry, but um, I, I believe that's the way this is going to be produced long-term because you can get both the seed to use for grain as well as the flower for its um, nutraceutical magic. <laughs> you know, I, I, it's so important to continue to educate folks that we're really talking about the whole plant here. And when when we're talking about a plant as unique as hemp, where every single part of it not only can be used, but has very unique and useful purposes that set it apart from the rest of the fibers or grains or oil seeds. For example, as you well know, even the root balls contain uh, valuable and unique triterpenes that are difficult to locate anywhere in the plant kingdom, and they're not uh, they don't exist in any other part of the plant. And then, of course, we have the longest, strongest, fiber in the world in that stock, the outer bast fiber, that bark, uh, and the inner woody core. We're talking paper, textiles, building materials, biocomposites, bioresins, energy, supercapacitors, fuel, nanotechnology. And then, of course, we have that nutrient-dense seed that not only, of course, that higher digest, highest digestible form of protein, but the perfect ratio of omega-3s and vitamins and minerals and folic acid and soluble and insoluble dietary fiber and, and all of that. And and then, of 
course, the incredibly valuable cannabinoids and terpenes in the flowering tops and the leaves and the resins. And we want to be able to use all of that. And it's going to take technology in order for us to be able to use all the parts of the plant that we're growing and in the same crop. And it's going to take brilliant breeders like you and your husband and your counterparts around the world. I also want to just make sure the listeners know we use a lot of acronyms in our industry. And so when Wendy talks about the IFR, she's talking about the USDA's interim final rule, which they published in the Federal Register on October 31st. That's for the Domestic Hemp Production Program, currently in a uh, comment period. Uh, but they're testing and sampling guidelines, which are the main focus of these public comments because they're, they're so stringent and in many ways uh, onerous and uh, unreasonably so involving the DEA and so on and so forth, but they're very strict and you have to be extremely compliant. And when we talk about AOSCA, uh, Wendy is, this, is referring to the Association of Official Seed Certifying Agencies. And, uh, and so AOSCA, as well as the OECD, the Organization for Economic Cooperative Development, have developed schemes for some years now to certify pedigreed uh, seeds in, in hemp that are unique, distinct, and stable, which is really how agriculture works. And, and while we certainly have many varieties throughout the world that have already many hemp varieties, grain and fiber varieties, that have been certified as unique, distinct, and stable, as, as the crop emerged here in the United States, we realized, well, gee, uh, some of the the grain varieties that are growing great in Manitoba don't go, grow so wonderfully in Kentucky with that photo period and that climate. And so it's just a, a very exciting uh, revolution. But with the extract hemp, and I think what really underscores, Wendy, when you say how it's unusual, what you have been able to accomplish at New West, is these extract varieties, of course, are newer. They CBD from hemp and cannabinoids being extracted from the hemp plant sort of hit us all like a ton of bricks six or so years ago. And, and these grain and fiber varieties, we've been breeding the resins down, essentially breeding the cannabinoids down in order to make sure we stay compliant well under that uh, 0.3 THC limit or threshold. And when the extracts came around, we started breeding the resins back in. And of course, that THC is the wiliest one. Could you share with us a story, Wendy, uh, about uh, some of the, the challenges or, or an interesting discovery uh, that you made trying to, uh, to do, accomplish what you have in fact done, and that is to make a unique, distinct, and stable, high uh, cannabinoid variety of hemp? Sure. So, um you know, there wasn't a lot of data on um, that pathway prior to, you know, 2014 when we started. It was thought that it was impossible to sort of separate those two cannabinoids because they were on the same pathway. Now, we've absolutely seen breeders, you know, prior to us have success in doing that, although, you know, getting it compliant wasn't, it, I think they just I think they absolutely could have had success. It just wasn't a priority, you know? And so it's a, what we found is that because we breed multiple traits, it just took longer, right? Because it wasn't our primary trait. Had we just focused on that, we probably could have done it, I'd say like a, three seasons earlier. But it, it's just about selection. Genetics is a numbers game. It's simply about selection and numbers and being willing 
to throw away 99% of what you grow each season in each turn of your breeding cycle. So, you know, it's, it's certainly possible for anyone to repeat what we did as if they're using, you know, highly selective breeder traits. It just wasn't profitable to do so, <laughs> you know, so it's, uh, Joy, what I'm saying basically is it's, it's not a big secret for commercial breeders to understand how to do that. However, it's, it just takes, you know, resolve and strength. And if you're like us and you weren't putting profits first for the first few years, you had to raise money. So that's what we did. And and you have to get a second mortgage on your house, et cetera, and put up your daughter's college funds. So um, that's, that's sort of what we did. But we knew there was no way this plant was not going to be a big hit. Um, one discovery we did make that um, is sort of new data as of last year for us. John looks very deeply at genetics by environment impact. And uh, a pretty common belief, just because we didn't know any better, um, in hemp was that those cannabinoids can just vary wildly and unpredictably by their environment. And what we've discovered through um, do, resequencing a number of varieties, public, um, as well as, you know, things grown in variety trials, is that indeed the cannabinoids are over 80% controlled by genetics, which is awesome news. So in well-bred certified variety, or not necessarily certified, but any well-bred variety, stable over, you know, uh, multiple breeding seasons, you and then grown out to prove it as stable um, multiple times, we see the genetics stable across regions. Now, now when I say stable, I mean, you know, not varying more than maybe a hundredth of a percent. So it's not impactful on that compliance piece, but you'll still see it, you know, varying a tiny bit out there. So that that's wonderful news. What's been proven through those EU and Canadian varieties, while they may not perform in yield, which is highly controlled by environment, it's more like 50-50, right, for yield impacts. It's just wonderful news um, that we can achieve that consistency across regions and should give everyone sort of relief, right, <laughs> that it can be done. It'll be okay. Um, we always say with our varieties, you don't have to test prior to harvest. You can just be confident that when we release something, it will be compliant to harvest. Full maturity, I should say. You know, and yes, and, and in fact, there was, a, you know, the policy as things evolved in Canada, because they started regulating in 1998. And then probably about three years ago, it may be four now, time passes so quickly in this revolution, uh, they began a, a policy where, hey, if, if, if variety had tested below 0.2, and their threshold is not greater than 0.3%, but, the, but for this policy, it says if your varieties are testing below 0.2 for two years in a row, then we're no longer going to require field testing. You're, you're, you're on the, exempt, the exempted field testing list. And, and I, I'm be excited, we'll be excited for something like that to happen. I think uh, another of the many disappointments that we see in the IFR, the USDA's interim final rule, uh, is nothing, no mention of a seed certification program in there. Um, what do you think about that, Wendy? What If you got to set policy, and I know you're involved on so many levels of setting policy in the state and, and even at the national level, 
Um, what would you say if you got to write, what would be the key points for seed certification within our own domestic program, uh, with the regulator being the United States Department of Ag? So seed certification and the interim final rule. Um, I, you know, I think about this from two different perspectives, one as an industry member and one as a regulator. If I were a regulator, I would absolutely want certified seed only because that would make my job easier. As an industry member, I, I recognize that folks want to see their high CBD. That's what they value in seed. Um, it is more efficient in extraction. The fact that there isn't a lot of certified seed that is high CBD gives me pause. Um, our recommendations to the USDA is that, you know, either one, they consider two things. We live in America, right? People want choice. They don't want to be forced to choose only certified seed. They don't do that in any other crop. Canada and Europe, of course, demand um, certified seed only. But uh, we do things a little differently. And I like that because that, you know, saves space for innovation. Um, so what I think would be useful is either one, phase in certified seed um, for a period of, you know, two to three years when I think there will be plentiful CBD varieties that are certified. So either phase it in um, or give incentives for people who use certified seed like you mentioned, Joy, prior, um, you know, maybe those are exempt from testing. I wouldn't say forever because in order to, you know, continue to um, keep a variety pure, you must rogue every few years or you must create a better variety. So you've, you've got to keep track of it because it will, you know, uh, generally kind of, uh, some folks will say drift. I think that's the, the improper genetic term for it, but it doesn't stay as pure. So you've got to rogue, which means you go through and clean it up at, you know, around flowering time. And then again, at, at uh, when it's mature, um, and, and by flowering time, I mean males, and then also, you know, when the females are mature. So there, there's work that you have to do to maintain that genetic purity, which is why I think every three years or so doing a THC validation is not a bad idea, but giving those incentives. And, and perhaps another incentive that could be granted is a tiered system of crop insurance. So, of course, if you're using a certified seed, it's got way more insurance. Um, insurance companies would like that, right? Something that's been validated by third parties. So that should be you know, either reimbursed at a higher level or, or things like that. So fantastic. I love these insights and this is really fantastic. And I'm sure that it will, that the USDA is certainly thinking about those things, particularly on the, on the federal crop insurance side, which I know is, is still very much in, uh, in a development phase. Um, I also know you're very much involved with the Hemp Feed Coalition, and we've had folks on. We've had Annie Rouse. Uh, we've had Ethan Voorhees on the show before, uh, who I know, of course, are also very involved in the Hemp Feed Coalition. Can you talk a little bit about why it's so important for us to uh, open up this market, expand these markets for farmers, but even in the entire food chain, and if you can tie it into it, it, and it very much is tied into, of course, carbon emissions, how, what does it mean to really be able to get ag seed, to get the hemp seed, this valuable nutritious seed approved to feed our agricultural uh, livestock and cattle and, and all of the species? 
So one, I want to talk about how it impacts the industry first, and then I'm going to get to health. It is essential to the vigor and the health of our industry that we get this approved in animal feed. We will never be taken seriously as a crop. Um, we will always be around, you know, maybe 200, 300,000 acres, which is not much in ag, unless we get approved in, in feed. And the other reason that's important, Joy, is for your, your fiber applications as well. So we've got issues right now with large grain uh, processors and even, you know, feed formulators that we can't get them enough for them to bother even running a test. So the acres are highly important and, and that will come when, you know, people are dying to put this in food, that in animal feed, they get it. They really want to put these products out. And of course, God love our industry. People are already doing it, even though it's not approved, which I, I do love that rebellious spirit. Um, but um, it's, it's essential to getting this to, into the food chain, as you said, um, and for the, the life of our industry. We need to see those acres so that we can really penetrate. Um, the nutrition, and, and you... I mean, you already hit the nail on the head about the omegas. There's no other plant that compares with this ratio and it can compete with fish. And we've got, you know, some tremendous challenges in our oceans with depleting the supply of species. And, and so why not use something more sustainable, um, a, a better source of omega-3s? We don't make them ourselves. We have to get that externally. It's essential for human health. So, so why not source that from hemp, number one? But also on the feed side, there's, it has every, uh, all nine essential proteins, right? So it can compete with soy. However, it's more, thus far, we've seen studies that show it's more digestible and ruminants than soy. So, so we've got some data on that. We have data on it increasing the omega-3 in hens. And it also has a really interesting lipid called uh, gamma-linoleic acid, GLA, which it, there's no other plant that has as much um, of this very healthy um, uh, lipid. So if you look up some papers, you'll find um, some details on that. But it's, it's so unique, Joy. Um, and it's, it, but we need the scale. Um, and we're not going to really go far without that scale. And that's why it's essential to get it into feed, let alone, right? We're, if we consume animals, those animals eating, you know, a healthier food source instead of just corn, which corn is great for, you know, a couple of things, but let's face it, it's not nearly as nutritious as hemp, but it's got to be affordable. I mean, all these, these decisions that people make, and this ties into feeding the world, it's all about cost right now because it's such overwhelming numbers that they have to hit. What, what we hope to achieve is, is and it, I think it's happening a little, is, is a, a sh even if we can get a slight shift in consciousness about the long-term value. So putting numbers to the long-term value of health of animals and humans, um, I, I think we're starting to see that shift when people talk about, you know, the cost of healthcare, et cetera. If we can head that off by eating healthier in the first place to prevent some of, you know, this need. Um, it, it, but it, it involves thinking about more than just your company, right, and your company's bottom line. So that's the challenge. That's always been the conflict um, and the rub. 
so I hope I answered your question. I probably went a very circuitous route. <laughs> it's so thorough and so insightful and very, very valuable. You, you folks have uh, studied, continue to study, are creating, are making the way through, through this industry. So no, everything that you say is, uh, is quite valuable to us and, and to the listeners. Uh, you also, Newest Genetics also sells various products. You've got flower products. You sell grain in addition to the, the genetics. Would you tell us a little bit about those products? Sure. So we don't, uh, you know, the, the selling, we created extract this year because we test our varieties before we put them out. So our goal is to sell seed. Um, that's always been our goal. But we're basically helping fund our company by selling by byproducts of that research. So anytime you uh, create a seed variety, you must bulk it up. So you have to have a season where you multiply that seed. So once you stabilize it, then it needs that extra season to do so. So if we've got this, you know, CBD variety, why let that flower go to waste, <laughs> right? So, and then, and then we learn things too for our farmers um, to, you know, on the agronomy, on the harvest methods, et cetera. So we can add value that way um, with the seed. We can add the knowledge of, you know, actual production. This is how you produce it. So, so yes, we create extraction. Uh, we, we take flour through extraction with some trusted partners. Um, we have some wonderful distillate this year that um, is, it's beautiful and it's, really uh, has a lovely profile. Um, we also have, and in each variety, it's, you know, of course, really interesting to see what those profiles are and to take it through to distillate so we can see how um, it, you know, it results in the more final product, although really it's wholesale. Um, so, so that's highly informative to breeders, how any crop is processed helps inform us and helps us um, make different choices sometimes for selection so that we can suit processing best. Um, so, so you asked about products. So those, you know, yes, we create grain, but now that our grain varieties are fully stable, fully certified, we will just license that seed. So uh, we've got some great partners who are very highly adept and have all the infrastructure for grain processing, post-processing, um, storage facilities, et cetera. Um, so, so our, you know, Right now and every year we release a new CBD or a new cannabinoid variety. There will be, you know, distillate coming from that. On, on the fiber side, I just wanted to address something. You know, you it talked about all those applications and they're very exciting. But as, as far as a breeding perspective goes, thus far we haven't found that we can create a triple, you know, use variety. And I mean flower, green fiber yet for those long fibers. So a lot of energy goes into the plant when it's creating, you know, those very tall fiber varieties and you'll get less flower. Um, however, I think the exciting innovations you are talking about um, of, you know, a adjusting the processing method um, and maybe even some kind of chemical applications through the processing may not make it as important that we have the long fibers for certain applications like paper, like building materials. So what well, I just want to put a call out to people who have innovative processing methods on the fiber side, you know, we, we always want to stay in touch with those people. So we understand, you know, their needs um, as far as what, what it needs to look like when it comes out in the biomass. So that was just a shout out and for help on our end. And, and Wendy, what do you see as the challenges for uh, 
for getting ag feed uh, approved by AFCO, by the FDA. I know that uh, I lived in Washington State for some years and, and uh, was very much a part of the, of the emergence of the crop there through lawmaking and, and rulemaking. And uh, there was a study, we passed a law at one point uh, that, that d- directed the, the D- Washington State Department of Ag to study the laying hen. And it took a year and it was some 40 something pages long, I think. Um, but in the end, it seemed that it was this concern over the potential bioaccumulation of THC and, and almost also a con- not that there was any evidence of that. That just seemed to be this remaining concern and that they needed to do more research. And further, uh, that there was even a consumer perception concern, like, oh, my goodness, if we start allowing our our dairy cows uh, and our laying hens in the state of Washington to be fed hemp seeds, maybe the consumers will be afraid that that milk and eggs from the state of Washington will get them intoxicated. What do you see around these challenges or around those particular concerns? I I understand that concern. Um, These producers have a lot at risk. I understand that concern back then. I believe the industry has done an incredible job at educating the public, and it's just going to accelerate now that the Farm Bill, um, the 2018 Farm Bill has legalized it federally. So I believe at that time, I understand why they had that concern. You know, um, here when we, Colorado, went through that process of studying kind of the landscape of research and what do we need to do policy-wise to get this approved that was led by the Colorado Department of Ag. Uh, What do we need to do to get this approved in feed? We worked with the Cattlemen's Association and and they have a tremendous amount at stake because these people are international businessmen, right? And women and, um, or they're national, they're moving products from state to state. And and they didn't have any education on, on what feed would look like. We didn't have numbers, right, of the different constituents for them. So I absolutely understand. One key piece that people didn't understand at the time that they need to understand is that cannabinoids are not present in the seed. They are not present. Um, they develop in the the trichomes as the flower develops. So it's, you know, days and days and days after the plant begins growing that you see them. Now, where we get into trouble as an industry and where we need to be tip top shape is the conditioning and cleaning of the seed. So imagine, you know, if you will, a beautiful flower as the seed develops, of course it develops in the flower, right? So it's touching cannabinoids. So all we need to do, and every you know other country has shown this with the human food that has allowed him, so in Europe as well as in Canada, that indeed you can clean it well enough that the cannabinoids are not present, that the THC is down to the parts per million or whatever level that it needs to be to put products out that are safe for humans. Now, the FDA knows this. AFCO understands this. They just need to see the research. They can't move without the research. So you asked what the challenge is. 
And I'm, you know, the Hemp Feed Coalition, by the way, developed out of this, you know, effort by Colorado Department of Ag um, and this um, actual report they created for the legislature um, saying, here's our recommended next steps is that we set up this kind of, you know, uh, unified association between vets, between, you know, uh, industry, the feed industry, between the hemp industry to help move these through the FDA. And the FDA was a part of all of those discussions and that work extremely supportive of grain and animal feed, absolutely supportive. Um, they just need to see these holes filled with the research. And so we started the Hemp Feed Coalition with the sole mission to support and shepherd applications, food application petitions through the FDA, and, and they work closely with APCO. Um, the Association of uh, American Association of Feed Certifying, their organization. So they set standards and nutrition definitions for the feed. Um, so the challenge is that the industry needs to step up. You know, a number we, we need to support. We've got 13 unfunded research studies that are going to plug these holes. So if you are in the hemp industry and you will benefit from increased acreage, which I don't know a single, you know, company that will not, you need to step up and, and contribute. Um, it won't take a lot if we all step up, right? <laughs> but it needs to happen. And these studies, the good news is they can happen quick. You know, I've heard of three months turnaround on animal studies. So um, it's it's unheard of. It's back-assed, of course, that it was approved in, for humans before it was approved for animals. I don't think that's ever happened for any other food source. Um, so uh, if, if we can all work together, please look up hempfeedcoalition.org. Um, make a contribution. Your contribution, those dollars are so stringently spent. We all approve the budget for the year. Uh, you've got about 12 industry leaders looking um, at that budget and approving it um, to make sure it's spent as much as possible on you know, the efficient means and application to the FDA. Um, super helpful. So please contribute. It's absolutely everything. It's everything. And folks can contribute by going to, I believe it is friendsofhemp.org. And I'm checking right now in case it's friendsofhemp.com um, because it makes a big difference and we don't want to get it wrong. And I, if I remember correctly, I got it wrong when we had Miss Annie on, but of course she uh, corrected me. Huh. I am not sure. Or do you know the, yes. Friendsofhemp.org, everybody. Friendsofhemp.org. Yeah, it's .org. And the good news is your contribution is tax deductible. So we work with Friends of Hemp. They are our fiscal sponsor. Amazing organization is handling the financials um, entirely for Hemp Feed Coalition. Um, very responsible board there. And they are a 501c3, so your donation is tax deductible. Such fantastic work, such important work. You are really, as I often describe it to the heroes that are on the show and heroines on the show, chopping the wood and carrying the water for this industrial, agricultural, and public health revolution and animal health revolution. Wendy, thank you for everything that you and your husband, Dr. John McKay, do every day for hemp. I'm looking forward to our next encounter and to continue to, to learn from you and to work with you as we deliver the promise uh, of hemp. Thank you so much for being with us today, Wendy. Thank you, too, Joy. It's a pleasure talking with you, as always.
Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Cannabis Health Radio is a podcast about stories from people around the world who have used cannabis to deal with serious ailments, many of them life-threatening. My name is Ian Jessup. My co-host, Corey Elland, is no stranger to the devastating emotional impact faced by so many people receiving a death sentence diagnosis from a doctor. Told she only had months to live with anal canal cancer, Corey researched and immediately began using cannabis oil to eliminate her cancer and has been cancer-free for more than a decade. She told herself that if it worked, she would spend the rest of her life helping others, which she does tirelessly every day. When you listen to our podcast, you'll hear many stories like Corey's, along with others who have used cannabis oil for many more ailments besides cancer, such as chronic pain, PTSD, MS, and many, many more. As one of our guests said, your podcast gave me the confidence to save my own life. We regularly get messages from listeners who have heard our podcast and use cannabis to solve a serious health issue of their own or that of a loved one. We hope you listen to these stories and be as inspired and moved as we are with each and every episode.